Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. A somewhat frigid Riccaro. Super Bowl 53, all week in Atlanta. I guess I never learn. I'm from Florida. Record-setting temperatures, snowfall. Not expected in Atlanta, but last time they had the game in Atlanta at the old stadium, the Georgia Dome, there was a intrepid ice storm. So I guess you just never learn. I'll suck it up and stay indoors. But the bottom line is this Super Bowl 53 is unique, and it's unique not just because the Patriots and Rams have two independent storylines. They're couple of unique things. First of all, the Georgia-based companies absent from Super Bowl marketing. Holiday Inn-based parent IMG, so IHG, Serta Simmons, Mercedes-Benz, Chick-fil-A, UPS, and others are, are not around. They help bring the game to the city. But for example, Coca-Cola, who's headquartered in Atlanta, temporarily on, temporarily on the sideline, PepsiCo, an NFL sponsor since 2002, uh, serves its namesake cola in the stadium. Coke normally holds licensing rights, and Pepsi unleashed a blue wave, including covering up as much Coke stuff as they can. Airlines, for example, United Airlines, Delta Airlines fighting. Uh, Delta Airlines, though, able to leverage its marketing and branding ties because NFL doesn't have an airline sponsor. And the Mercedes-Benz Stadium having a tremendous Mercedes-Benz logo all over it, not shown. The official camera angles keep that out. Why? Hyundai, an official sponsor of the NFL, and on and on and on. The second unique thing is, interestingly, the amount of advertising. We now have seven states where gambling is illegal. Obviously, that's grown to about 300 million. People say that's a lot. But guess what? Illegal gambling, about 4.7 billion was bet on the Super Bowl last year. An estimated 4.6 billion of that is bet uh, illegally. And so when you think of all of that, that's going to continue to grow. How about food prices? That's unique. Arthur Blank kept his, his promise. Beer is $1.10 less per 20 ounces than, India, than Minneapolis last year, and hot dogs the same way. Rich McKay, the president of the team, has said the hot dog, four bucks less expensive. The beer, obviously less expensive, increasing the prices based on the magnitude of the Super Bowl. Never an option. Good for Arthur Blank. Good for Rich McKay. Good for the Falcons as well. And then And the final unique piece, uh, we're talking about political ads. They will not exist for the most part in Super Bowl 53. The serious ads, kudos to Verizon. They have some issues regarding the Mendocino complex wildfire in August and turning down the data power. They will now capitalize a million five donation to first responders outreach and promote it in a Super Bowl ad. Bottom line is whether you're writing wrongs or reaching millions, the Super Bowl is a unique place to do it. The other uniqueness is the global growth and development of football itself. Flag football in China, uh, the Philippines, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, South America, even Africa. Patrick Steenberg is the founder of Global Football, in alliance with the NFL. He caught up with us at the Pop Warner Super Bowl in December. Talking about the NFL and football's global reach, there is no better time to do that than right now. Patrick Steenberg. 
Power Sports, Rick Harrell, this is not really a baseball stadium. It feels a little like one. It's part of one, but it's the larger ESPN Wide World of Sports Disney complex. Uh, they've had this facility, the Braves have, since 97, but it's part of a larger event facility, and they have a whole bunch of other stuff going on here as well as the Pop Warner Super Bowl, which ironically started here in December in 1997 and has been in existence from then on. Focusing on Pop Warner, one of the folks who has developed a significant following from an international perspective off of Pop Warner is the founder and president of Global Football, Patrick Steenberg. Got the title right? You got it all right. You got to take two work. And I've got to tell you, this is a great organization to be involved with. And certainly, we've had a history of talking before. But tell us about Global Football where you're today. You know, and I never put together the dates, but in 1997, I just had this idea to give student athletes a chance to travel internationally, to visit other cultures, and to compete in what is known around the world as American football, okay. what we just call football here. And it's been it's been an amazing run. I mean, I've been to 28 countries on six continents with youth, high school, and college teams. Um, and then about 10 years ago, John Butler called me, and we had known each other. And he said, "Hey, could could you bring some international teams down to down to Orlando, be part of our Super Bowl?" And we're now year nine that we brought international youth teams from around the world, and it keeps expanding. So it's, it's fun to be part of this bigger event. So the 28 countries are varying stages of engagement, and of course, the NFL attempts to dabble or be involved in a lot of sure. different countries too. You guys work together or at least follow each other's brands as far as being either at the front or the back of the NFL in these various countries? Yeah, and a lot of times for 11 years from 97 to 2007 when NFL International was really rocking, when NFL Europe was going, um, we did an event at the Super Bowl, the NFL Super Bowl called the Global Junior Championship that NFL branded and helped us support. We had NFL Europe coaches, so we were part of that. And now I'm, I'm involved in a number of events going on in China. In fact, I'm taking University of Pennsylvania, the Penn Quakers over there in March to play against the Chinese. It's really a you know an educational football tour which they all are. But NFL has a big presence now in NFL China. So we, we work together whenever possible. And of course, you all have the same ultimate motive to grow the game internationally as well. Uh, how hard is it to grow uh, American football in a place where they've not had it as part of their culture? You know, the great thing now is everybody's got this phone and they can get the NFL Red Zone on it pretty much anywhere in the world. So kids and people are able to watch the game, get engaged in it. So I think that's helping. You know, and really my job is not so much expanding the game. Mine is more about the education of the kids, giving these kids a chance to travel and visit. And I always say that's the NFL's job. I'm happy to support it. And it happens while we do it. We always do camps and clinics wherever we go. We've helped some international student athletes come to America. A kid like Bjorn Warner, who was a first-round draft pick with Indianapolis, I helped him get into a high school in New England uh, after they had contacted me from Europe. So there's a lot of things going on. What's great now is I have more teams globally wanting me to bring teams for games than I have teams ready to travel. So I'm looking to keep you know finding teams that want to go, you know, and, and visit other cultures, meet one another, kind of in the Olympic spirit. And Pop Warner really exemplifies it here in America, and now to be able to do it in you got a kindred spirit in John Butler, clearly, because you both look for the same things in development and growth and educational standards and what it means to be part of this whole team. Give us an example of how you uh, educate when you go to a country that maybe hasn't had as much football as before. Give us, give us a, give us, pick a country and tell us how you do it. 
Our most uh, popular country to go visit is Italy. We take two or three colleges, usually NCAA Division three or NAI schools, uh, every year there. And really, while we're there, we'll have two practices, open them up to all the students and young kids who want to come, any of the adults, all the coaches. We'll do a coaches clinic while we're there. We engage the local football guys, and then we're going to church to visit churches, castles, museums, do you know social efforts, whatever we can do, service works wherever we go, and then we'll always play a game, usually against a host team from international, whether it's the Milan Seaman, you know, the, the Roma team, Gladiatori, or, or whomever, you know, so it's it's more education than football, but football is the binding point, you know, and I, I had a chance when I was young to travel, when I was playing at Notre Dame, you know, around America, and get to travel as a team, and I, I just think you learn so much as a team, and these teammates who get to visit, you know, whether they're going to Ireland, or Germany, or Tanzania, Africa, which we did a few years ago with Drake University, they'll remember that trip and that game for their whole life. Clearly. And let's talk philanthropy as well. You talk about social service. Sure. Uh, when you're in a country and you see the sites, how do you get into the culture and talk about doing good and leaving behind and, and leaving some kind of legacy as well from your side? Well, we always, you know, I have local experts who are my ground operators, you know, who, who set up the tours, the visits, the things, and then I'll try to always interface with the football people there also, and just get as many doors open as we can. I, I guess the frustrating part for mine is I've not had, the kids got to raise the money. Yeah. You know, this is not Michigan going to Italy and, you know, somebody's writing a check. So right. the kids and the families got to raise their own funds. So that's always been the difficult part. And we really have not been fortunate in getting a lot of support. Now the schools and the teams can do that on their own, um, but yeah, they've got to they've got to come up with the revenue to do it. American Airlines not giving us free airline tickets, but you know, but it works. We're, yeah. we're getting there. Well, and frankly, you're in the right direction by building critical mass. Coaches Troy Calhoun, Chip Kelly. Yep. There is that uh, appreciation trip that that happened. Tell us about that. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I went with this group, uh, Military Appreciation Partnerships, and with Chip Kelly, Troy Calhoun, Chris Creighton, mm -hmm. who's at Eastern Michigan, and we went and visited military bases in Italy, throughout the Middle East, in Bahrain, and Djibouti, which is one of the stranger yeah. parts of the world, you know, in Italy. And we visited the troops, and I got to know those guys really well, just spending a week with them in the back of a C-15, you know, flying around. And I was just felt like honored to be with those guys. Uh, but, yeah, we get to do a lot of things. Wherever we do, we always offer you know some kind of service where coach Creighton at Eastern Michigan I tell people he is the best man in college football one of the best coaches you saw they beat Purdue they took San Diego State to triple overtime going to a bowl game again but when he was at Drake University he had this idea there had never been an American football game on the continent of Africa and he came up to me at the AFCA convinced that I want to take my team there I want to show them real poverty I want to work with the orphans there and I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro I'm like whoa okay what do, what do you want me to do and win a football game and win a football game. I had to find a team to play though, because it wasn't a team in Tanzania, Africa. Yeah. So I, uh, I had enough contacts in Mexico that I got their version of the NCAA put together an all-star team. So we took a team from Mexico, a team from Drake in Iowa, about 200 people and went to Tanzania, Africa and had 11,000 people show up for a football game. Incredible, incredible organization. It kind of leads to kind of the core of this effort, the power of sports. Uh, we all have different uh, interpretations of what power of sports really means. Yours is transcultural and transborder as well. What, what's the overall message of how powerful sports is and why it is? 
you know, I, I think I'd go back to my own life and realize what it did. You know, I was fortunate to have a good mom and dad. I got into sports. I had good support, went to good school. But the coaches who directed me and my teammates is what kept me centered. You know, we all had our moments at age 17, 18, 19 where we could have gone. To, and to me, I think sports did that for me and especially football. Um, and I, I see the same thing happening with kids these days. You know, first thing I do on a tour is they get on the bus and I said, pull out your mobile phone. Everybody's got one. I said, you're not learning a darn thing on this phone. You're reading and you're seeing pictures. Today we're going to learn. We're going to go to the Coliseum, the real Coliseum, not the one in L.A. And all of a sudden it becomes real for them. To me, you know, we have an important place in the world and sports plays a really important role and the competitiveness when they can be like today, you know, I got kids out here from Panama playing against kids from Finland. They know nothing about each other's cultures. Well, tonight they're going to be at the pool, you know, out there at the hotel mixing and talking and, you know, jiving and doing all that. That to me is, is the little bit we can do for the world through sports. You've got, Peter Steinberg, you've got an incredible organization. My only bone to pick with you is apparently you were Theismann's backup or you were part of Theismann's entourage and you won two games and one of them was against my alma mater Northwestern we weren't very good back then so don't get all excited that was we pretty much yes I got to play a little my software I got to back up Joe but yeah. that's when backups used to get in a lot you know yeah, well so especially against Northwestern I'm pretty sure Northwestern. yeah and I did start two games I may be the only quarterback in Notre Dame to be undefeated ranked number one and get benched very interesting that, <laughs> that is, is all right dynamic as they go to the playoffs ladies and gentlemen Patrick thank you very much well, yeah, not only will will over uh, 150 uh, countries and different languages get to watch the game either on a delayed or a regular basis, this is America's holiday. In fact, according to WalletHub, one in two people would sacrifice their vacation days for a year uh, to watch their team uh, win the Super Bowl. And more than one in three will give up their annual bonus. How about that? 1.38 billion chicken wings will be eaten during the Super Bowl weekend, plus at least 14,000 500 tons of of, uh, of chips, 8 million pounds of guacamole, and 10 million pounds of ribs, which explains why antacid sales at an all-time high on the Monday that everybody wants as a holiday. Watch it, everybody. Look for the business angles. Look for the sports angles. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen, associate producer, Freddie Joyner, assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.